Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Amen. Thank you, Seth. Good morning, church family. Good to be together. Appreciate you joining us as we are at week three of our Thrive Message Series. Excited for the truth that we'll be diving into today. But uh, before we, we dig in, we'd like to first start with a, a quick team huddle, if we could. And just around where we are in this uh, ministry year, we're coming to the end of our ministry year. We kick it off, our new one off in September, our 22-23 season. And every year there's a, a sense of excitement and anticipation about where God's leading us and what He's going to do in us and through us. This year, I, I can't, we, we, we can't unveil our theme until the uh, second Sunday in September, our Vision Sunday. But it is just, if we follow the Lord in this direction and what happens um, out of that, it, it's going to be something special. I'm predicting And uh, it's just, can't wait to share it with you and the initiatives that we have. But uh, but I would ask, or or first, I'll give a quick preview and then I have a request for you. So preview, next Sunday is an important week as we'll be wrapping up our family series. But looking at three, we we asked you, what are the biggest cultural issues that that you're struggling to to process through as a family? And we're going to go after those through the lens of God's Word. So big day. The next day, uh, it's Labor Day weekend. First day of our new ministry year, but rather than just charging it in our own strength, we are going to kneel in prayer, and that's our day of prayer. And so, invite you to to come to that, and and then the third one is our Vision Sunday, as I mentioned, when I'll unveil our theme for the year, and and we'll officially charge into to this new ministry year. But if I could, as as we prepare for this new year, ask you to do two things. If if you consider Westbridge your church home, to be praying around two things. One. Who is it that God would have you team with as a faith community, as a small group, as a ministry group, into this new ministry year? Just be thinking, praying around that. And it may be God has a, wants to have you, maybe you're in a small group, but he wants you in another one, or maybe once, maybe you're not in a small group, and it's like, hey, it's, I'm, I'm ready to jump in and, and team. Or maybe, I, we're sensing God may even have, um, be calling some of us to lead and you're like I've been part of a group but I'm ready to step up and actually oversee a group and care for people as we go after him maybe it's um, God will put on your mind people to invite into a small group and maybe launch a new one but core to to where he is leading us this next year will be a community of people around each one of us and so where is it that God would lead and just ask you pray around that the second would be where is it that God would have you serve and this next ministry year, what, what part of his body could you jump in and, and be a part of? In your season of life, um, your gifts, abilities, your passions, where would that be? And would, um, would you be willing to do that? Appreciate that and, and excited for uh, where God is, is leading us into the future. And thankful to get to follow him with you into the future as well. well let's go ahead. We'll pray and uh, dig into God's word together. Father, as we come to your word, we're just so grateful that you haven't left us without instruction. 
and that as we open your word now, we pray that we would see what you want us to see and then do what you would have us do with a heart that brings you glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, when your dad yells, watch out, it is wise to watch out, isn't it? That is the very thing that my brother and his buddies heard when they were 12 years old. They were on their manhood trip down in Brown County. Dad had taken them camping, and uh, they're messing around with this uh, on the side of this lake. And to 12-year-old, this is a boy's delight, found a bunch of snakes. And so they have sticks, and they're poking these snakes, messing around with them. And then I decide, hey, let's hike around the lake. So they go around the lake. They come back to where those snakes were, and they're like, hey, I wonder if those snakes are still there. So they're poking around. The snakes were gone, disappeared. They're looking under leaves. Nope, nowhere to be found. When they heard Dad say, boys, back away. Come to me. Watch out. And as they backed away, they saw what he saw. Those snakes were hovering over their heads in the limbs within a striking distance. Oh, wow. So they uh, decide, hey, let's, when, we, when we're cruising out of the park, let's check the ranger station, see what kind of snakes we were dealing with. They were messing with copperheads, which happened to be one of Indiana's poisonous snakes. And what's unique to them is they bite without notice when they're threatened. <laughs> they don't rattle their tail or anything. They just boom. And uh, when dad yells, watch out, it's wise to watch out. How much more so when our Creator yells, watch out. And we see Him doing that, Jesus doing that. In Luke chapter 12, when a guy tries to drag him into a family financial dispute, the text reads this way, verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus said, man, who appointed me a judge and arbiter between you? Then he said, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take, it, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Again and again throughout God's word, he points to the danger and the threat that money is to us and our relationship with him. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 and 10 is a classic passage. As Paul writes to his young apprentice, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Notice it's not money in and of itself, that money is a moral, but it's the love of money that can lead us. Evil is the absence of God, and so can leave us away from him in many ways. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. <clears throat> so God created us in his image to connect in a love relationship with him and with those around us in a way that's thriving and life-giving. Stewarding finance is one of the primary threats 
to our relationship with him. It can lead us away from him, and it can come in between the people in our lives who matter most. How do we manage the money that God has given us in a way that that leads us into a walk that's closer with him and actually helps our relationships thrive? Counselors have agreed even that the primary and most intimate of relationships, husband and wife, do you know what the primary stressor is? It's finance. It's money. And so even this intimate relationship can be disrupted by how are we going to manage money? And so today what we're going to do is we're going to try to tackle this subject and lay a biblical foundation of of finance, and that our text is not going to be one text, but the entire Bible. So we're going to have to fly, but, but what's neat is, as we look at, okay, what has God said about money, four guidelines emerge that help us steward our finances the way Jesus would steward finances, a way that brings us into a closer relationship with our Lord and also leaves us with uh, interpersonal relationships that are, are thriving. So four guidelines I hope these will be things that, one, you can just do a a check on your own heart. It's kind of like a a recalibration or a reset for yourself. How are you doing in these areas? But also as a family, that these could be things that you agree on or at least talk about. Hey, um, and then say, where where is God leading us as a family to help your family thrive? So the first one is to work diligently for him. To work diligently for him. God created us in his image to be a co-creator with him as we go to work. Sometimes we think about work as that four-letter word that, oh, man, Monday's coming and wish I didn't have to work and and can't wait for the day that, that I don't have to work. When in reality, work is core to who we are as image bearers of God. We see this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, as it says, Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, and the wild animals, and over all all creatures that move along the ground. So, and he'll repeat this in Genesis chapter 2, puts Adam there in the garden and Eve to care for it, to manage it. It's not just... A man going to, it's man and woman created to work or co-create. So to take what God has made and make it better. To bring value to to creation in a way that as we go to work, as we work, we bring value. Then here comes the income. And with that income, we're able to provide for our needs and those around us. So you say, well, what about the, the drudgery of work and the the pain of work, and we know that's Genesis 3. Part of the curse is every job is going to have some sweat, sweat, blood, and tears. Every job. So if you're looking for the perfect job, it's not out there. <laughs> and the successful person is the one who learns every job has sweat, sweat, tears, blood, and I, and I will have self-discipline and learn to run through it, right? And so it's some parts of the, every job we're just going to have to run through. It's part of the curse until the Lord or we're with the Lord, or He comes. So God created us to uh, work. It's part of who we are in His image. But He instructs us throughout Scripture to work diligently. In Proverbs, there's a, 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 a person who appears a, in a metaphorical way, the sluggard, and over 20 times, God, through Solomon, warns us of this sluggard. Like, don't follow the sluggard, the way of, the way of lazy. One 
example, verse that, that I'll share that, again, there's many more references to this, is in Proverbs chapter four verse, or 10, verse 4, that says, Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. So as we work diligently, we bring value to the world, we, we co-create with the Lord, and with that comes income. And with that income comes the opportunity to provide for our needs and also the needs of the people around us. But there's another why to work. This is where it gets good. And, and this is a paradigm-changing reality that can infuse purpose into our ordinary, everyday lives. This is the, the core text when it comes to work is Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. Here in this first century, um, slavery was something that God does not condone, but we see he flips slavery by going after the heart and the power of the gospel. But here, what do you do if you're caught in a slavery situation? Or, and we can apply this to our, our boss-employee um, situations. So as an employee, how do we live? He says, verse 22, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, not only when their eye is on you to cur- and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Here it comes, whatever you do, so this is in the context of work, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So why work? Why get up on Monday morning and go to work? The bottom line, the big why for us is is we are serving the Lord. It's for Him. And so therefore, how do we bring, what kind of effort do we bring to our work? And what kind of attitude do we bring to our work? We're bringing our very best, aren't we? Work at it with all your heart. And what do we know as we go to work? We know this. How I do my job matters to God, and as I do my job with all my heart for him, there is a reward coming. My king has payday, right? And I think one of the great testimonies to our faith in Christ is how we go do our everyday job for the glory of God. This is what infuses purpose into our job, especially when we hit the hard points, the mundane points, the, like, does this even matter points. If those of you are in school, you know, you wonder, man, algebra, what's the point? I'm bringing my best, preparing myself for what God will have for me. We bring our best for his glory as we we go to work. I love the way James Mishner says it. He says, the master in the art of living makes little distinction between his work and his play, his labor and his leisure, his mind and his body, his information and his recreation, his love and his religion. He hardly knows which is which. He simply pursues his vision of excellence at whatever he does, leaving others to decide whether he is working or playing. To him, he is always doing both. To which we say, love the vision, but how do I get there? And as a follower of Jesus, the way we get there is, we know when we go to work, we can offer that as worship to him. It matters to him. He is glorified as we do our job with all our heart for him. This is our why, isn't it? I love the way Martin Luther, Dr. Martin Luther King puts it. He says, if it falls your lot to be a street sweeper, sweep streets with like Michelangelo painted pictures, like Shakespeare wrote poetry. 
like Beethoven composed music, sweep streets so well that all the host of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. Our work, whatever it is, if offered to God, is worship. Therefore, we work diligently. Now, as I look out, I see a number of you who are in your retirement season of life. Like, what about us? We're done working. Oh, no. We work till the day we die for the kingdom of God. If you're retired, you are now self-employed. So that's even tougher, isn't it? It's almost like you, you, you should go get a board of directors and check in. Hey, am I, am I stewarding my resources in a way that will bring glory to God? Because now I have freedom to do it in ways that I didn't have before. All right, second, the uh, guideline that will help us steward our money in a way that, that leads to relationships that are thriving with the Lord and others is to give generously like him. It's here we follow the example of our Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, and I wish we could read chapters 8 and 9 as they all, this text is really core to calling us to generosity, but verse 9 is a summary, is a summary as he says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And then he says, follow me. Live with this kind of generosity. I love that text in that it reminds us that we are rich. And I wish we could have, each of us, like a 60-second glimpse into the age to come and what God is preparing for those of us who love him. Is he promises we have the kingdom, but even now we are rich in that we have him. He goes uh, again and again throughout Scripture. We see the call to generosity. One of the core texts there is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, where again he warns us. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who, how? Richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And here again, you see the heart of our God, and he delights in giving to his children, doesn't he? And how many of us have, I think, we've all experienced that in Christ, but also in a physical way. But here's the challenge, or here's the, the tension. So we come to Christ, we receive the gift of salvation, we begin to work as worship, Colossians 3.23, and, and offering our best to him. And what happens in the work world? Well, generally, often, we, uh, we become more valuable to the company. We're doing our job with all our heart. We bring a good attitude. We're taking care of finances in a way that are, that's healthy. And so we get, often there's promotion, there's increase of pay, there's, and we get a trunk load of the very stuff, a trunk load of money. And with that trunk load of money comes a trunk load of temptation to draw us away from God and to mess with our relationships and it's like how do it's almost like it works against itself do you see the it's like okay we, we work hard we work but now we have this wealth that can threaten our soul what do we do and the answer is in verse 18 and 19 he says command them to do good to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share isn't that good and so what do we do as God provides for us? Our, 
man, we are accelerating in this area of generosity. Lord, give me a generous heart. When you provide for me, let me be like a sieve where the more you give to me, it just keeps running out. I just keep giving it away. Um, rich in good deeds and generous and willing to share. And then notice what he says here. In this, in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And so as we steward the money God has given us, our passion is to give generously. As he has given to us, we give generously like him. It's our joy and our passion to to give to those who are in need, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, live with a generous heart, willing to share. We call this grace giving in our dispensation. Now, back under the old covenant, God gave laws around giving like the tithe and various offerings. That's not... Um, He does not command us to give a certain amount under the new covenant. Why? Because we have Christ, (laughs) the model of generosity, and we have his Holy Spirit that will lead us and guide us, and I think go way beyond law, you know? And so we call this, you say, well, what are the principles then that we follow under grace giving? We give generously. We give cheerfully. God loves a cheerful giver. Our heart matters to him. We give proportionately. We, We do take a look at our income, and when we're young and in college, we, we cannot give as much as perhaps when we're old and we can even live on less and the income comes in, we can give more and we give sacrificially at times when God moves us to do that. And so as we give money, here, here's what's really neat about this, guys. What God gives us through his word is instruction that helps us use money in a way where it no longer threatens our intimacy with him. It actually becomes a means of intimacy with him. It's a means of worship. So when we receive money, we're able to to give it away and glorify his name, help the people around us. Third guideline is to save wisely, trusting him. So this takes us into the realm of wisdom. And again, back to Proverbs. Remember Proverbs chapter 6? We uh, meet the creature that Helps us when we're tempted by laziness, it's the ant. And he says, verse 6, Go to the ant, you sluggard, consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer, no ruler. Yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. And then again, over in chapter uh, Proverbs 21, verse 20, the text says, The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but, but fools gulp theirs down. And so we see this principle throughout Scripture. To, it's wise for us, especially as responsibilities come, to anticipate needs and then to set aside money and resources to meet those needs. Paul instructs the church to do this in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1 and 2. This is not a command to us, but a, one of those patterns that we can learn from and uh, glean principles from which to apply to our own lives. Verse 1 says, Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. As we look to the Old Testament, remember the story of Joseph, where God um, let him know that a famine was coming, a seven-year famine, and he was in charge in Egypt, so he set aside for seven years, seven good years, money that would keep the country going for the seven tough years. So on the saver-spender spectrum, most of us lean to one way or another. Where, where would you lean? Where, 
you a, you like spender, saver, often within marriages, the opposites attract, and that creates a good balance. But, uh, but if you're a saver, you are like right now probably thinking, preach, John, I, I love this, save wisely, this is good. Well, <laughs> I have some hard news for us, and I, I lean towards that saver. I love to have way more than enough. As I went through Scripture and the whole of Scripture, I was looking for that verse where God just commands us, you know, like, save and, and man, righteous is the person who has a large savings account. <laughs> well, guess what? <laughs> it's not there. And to be honest, and, and frankly, God is way more concerned with us trusting Him day by day to provide for our needs than us having a robust savings account. It's throughout the teaching of Jesus, again and again, what's he say? Do not store up treasure here on earth. Um, let your, your thoughts be generosity and trust. He builds it into his prayer, how to pray daily provision. Lord, would you provide for our, our daily needs? And the chapter that just wrecked me this week was Exodus chapter 16. I encourage you to go read that on your devotional time this week. It's crazy what God does for his people. They're in the desert right now between the, they're going to be there for 40 years, just came out of Egypt. They're in a desert. There's no, how, how are we going to eat? And he provides manna. And manna was like a, uh, like a, a wafer, like bread that would show up each new day on the ground. But what he, what he tells them is interesting. He says, take only enough for today. Well, Guess what the savers did on that first day that the manna came? They, they, I, man, you got, like we are now after COVID, right? Toilet paper, stocking that stuff. They took enough for uh, tomorrow, and it rotted. It had maggots, and it spoiled. And God said, I'm testing you. Are you going to follow me? Are you going to trust me? Can you imagine, if you're a saver, having only enough food for you and your family for today 40 years. Can you imagine that? I think what a gift, though, for faith. Is God faithful? Oh, yeah. He will provide. So the question comes back, okay, how much do I save? And this is where wisdom and faith, the, the, there's a tension there. And the tension is good, but we ask ourselves, how much should I save? As we do that, I think it's really important that when we save, whatever amount that you determine to save, you combine that with a, an acknowledgement. And I, I'm trying to do this this week, even as I, okay, save towards retirement. I'm telling the Lord, my hope is not in my savings fund or the stock market or our savings account. My hope is in you. So we save, but as we save, it's with that declaration of faith and trust. Lord, I'm trusting you. How much should we save? Wise stewards. Um, we talk about in our financial freedom class, a uh, emergency fund for the things that we can anticipate falling apart. The car, okay, to save enough so that when that does fall apart, it doesn't put our family in stress and now we're at each other. Big, big expenses on the horizon, college, uh, weddings, those types of things. And then end of life issues. Great news. They, they announced this year that Social Security is going to last till 2034. Well, that's great news for everybody who's planning to die by 2034, 35, I mean. But uh, for the rest, it's a great faith builder, but hey, may not be there. So, so how are we going to 
prepare and, and being uh, wise in that end of life. I was thinking, man, it is expensive to live. It's expensive to die. You know, it, the average funeral costs seven thousand to seven to twelve thousand dollars. And so wise is the person that are loving that. Hey, I'm going to set aside this for my family, so they don't have to mess with that when, when it comes. As I was thinking about, you know, the work hard, give generously, save wisely. A story came to mind that in our family that that I warms my heart, but it was back when the kids were young, and we were in uh, Milwaukee at the time, and our house had this steep hill on it, trees around, and Chad and I are out there raking leaves. He's about five at the time, and our neighbor, Don Nelson, had bad knees and struggled to rake the hill. So I'm like, hey, Chad, say, hey, it's a teachable moment. God gave us the strength. Let's help our neighbor. So we rake the uh, Don's side, you know, get the leaves away. Well, out comes Don with a $20 bill. And so happy and so grateful. I'm like, Don, no, we, we just wanted to help you, and it's our joy to do that. And he goes, no, give it to Chad. And so before I could get to it, he's slipping Chad a 20. And so I thought, well, here's a good teachable moment. So we go up in the backyard, and um, I lay it out. I said, Chad, who gave us the strength and the ability to go rake those leaves? The Lord did. Who gave us the idea to go help Don and create value to work? God did. So the first thing we want to do with this money, and it's the principle of first fruits throughout Scripture that we see, is we give God the first out of gratitude for what he's given us. So, and for our family, we start at 10%. So that 20 bucks, that'd be $2. Okay, second, um, you want to save. It's wise to save, and someday you're going to go to college, Lord willing. So we, it's going to be expensive. We're not going to have the money at the time. So let's put 10% towards long-term savings, towards your college. So there's another two bucks. And then third, there's short-term savings. So sometime you're going to want a bike. What's the thing you want that you can't have now that will improve your life? And so you need to save for that. So there's another 10%. So another $2. All right. So, and now with that rest, uh, whatever's left, how much is that? 14 bucks. You can go buy Legos and soccer balls and all that stuff. Well, God went from, um, and I'm having this parenting moment, like, yeah, that was a good, good parenting vibe moment going on. <laughs> and the Lord flips it and uses Chad to start preaching at me. And he said, Dad, I want to give it all to God. I'm like, no, Chad, you can spend it. God wants you to spend this. He wants you to enjoy this and whatever. He's like, nope, I want to give it all to God. And he's like, yes, Lord, <laughs> childlike faith, generous heart. But oh, that life were that simple, right? We, we, as we grow, we get responsibilities. And so how do we spend that remaining amount? How, how do we steward that? And that's the last one is we spend thoughtfully with him. I, I won't refer to a specific text, but this is that overarching principle of stewardship that, that God is our creator. We are his creatures and his, his followers. We are accountable to him for all that we have. Now, there's a tendency to think, okay, I've given my money. I've saved my money. Now the rest is mine. And we can tune God out. But what's the truth? It's still his. And we will give an account for how we steward everything that he's given us. Now, this isn't to be like, oh, no, now I have to. No, he is a God, a generous heart. He delights in us um, stewarding and enjoying what he's given us. But we must do so in submission and a thoughtful way with him. To where it's fun. It's like going shopping with him. So, um, so as we shop, it's like, Lord, how do you want me to spend this money? Thank, and, it's, and once we spend it, we thank him. Now, I'm not a, shopping for me is stressful being a saver. I hate shopping. 
hate shopping for clothes. Tam tells me, John, you need to do it because the ladies care about what you wear. So about twice a year, I change my shirts a little bit. And that'll come up this, uh, one of those days will be here in September, Lord willing. And I block out some time or just go shop. But as I do, it's a worship time. I'm like, Lord, would you show me just what you want me to, to purchase that would, you know, be, be good, a good thing to wear that wouldn't get in the way of your message? And would you lead me to a good deal, you know, and as quickly as possible <laughs> to get back home? And uh, think about even the ordinary, and, and this isn't an every week thing, but often when we go to the grocery store, just you look at, uh, pick up a bag of groceries and just, Lord, thank you for another week that you've provided. And not only provided, but we live in a day. A hundred years ago, you pick up that bag of, you know, nacho cheese. Like, wow, what a gift. And Doritos or chips and be able to combine these. And so easy and right here. And um, what a gift. And it becomes worship as we spend with him, thoughtfully with him. Even in our spending, money doesn't take us away from him, but actually leads us into a greater intimacy with him. Isn't that cool? How that, how that can work. And so as we spend thoughtfully, we're asking questions like, Lord, do I really need this? Do I need this now? We're asking, what would the real cost, what's the real cost of what I'm about to buy? The maintenance and the time. Someone has said, the, uh, the more we own, the more that we, or the more that owns us, the more we must maintain. Anything that we buy, the side, the side of heaven is under the curse, therefore it falls apart, therefore we have to keep it going. And so, you know, it's like you buy this thing, but now what are you doing on your day off? You're taking care of the thing. You're painting the thing, you know, fixing the thing, whatever. And isn't it interesting? Jesus said, okay, all you are worry burden, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, I'm gentle in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. What was the yoke? It's his teaching. He lived a simple life. What if we pursued simplicity according to the teaching of the Lord, owned less? Man, I'm stressed out, I'm tired, I'm bright, I gotta work, work, work. Busy, busy, busy. And he's like, I, I, I told you, um, own less, give it away, and, and you will find rest for your souls. The dog, the dog conversation, which, which families, this is a tough one. But uh, you spend or savor. The, the saver's like, all right, guys, if we buy a dog, yeah, it's 300 bucks now, but let's calculate that out over the year. For us, Riley's about $1,000 a year times 15 years, $15,000. That's almost a year at Purdue. Do we really want this dog? <laughs> and the answer is, yes, you cannot calculate a dog's love. It's worth it. Buy two. But there is a cost. One of the ways we spend practice thoughtfully is to form a budget with the Lord, you know, prayerfully. And Lord, this is where we form the buckets of how we're going to spend our money, seek to live on less than we make. But, uh, and I know for some of you, when I just said the word budget, you just had this happy feeling inside of you like, yeah, let's do it. Excel spreadsheets, let's do it right now. Others of you, you just, I just almost ruined your day and I'm sorry. (laughs) You just heard a prison door clank shut. That budget is just like, oh, I'm in budget prison. Can't spend money. Well, a budget um, is a, a helpful tool if held loosely and, and um, open to conversation within the family to help us spend wisely. Another practical way to spend thoughtfully is to seek wise counsel. In January, so appreciate uh, John and Becca Finley 
offering a class every January called Financial Freedom. It is so good. I encourage everyone to take that if you haven't. And on our website, we have a, if you go under the website, Next Steps, there's a finances link. And there's a, if you don't have a budget, you can download a budget there. Or you can sign up for one-on-one coaching if you're looking for just some, some tips. And John is one of our coaches. Tyson um, has helped many people and is gifted in this area. But uh, it's kind of neat as you look around the room, how many resources we have for in the realm of finance and, and stewarding finance. So encourage us to take, take advantage of that. Well, what a gift God has given us. When it comes to stewarding money, yes, it's a threat. The love of it's a threat. But we, we need not be threatened or need not allow it to lead us away from God and create division in our relationships. But rather, as we follow these guidelines, money can be a means towards intimacy, a way to express our love to God and bless the people around us. As we work diligently, as we give generously, as we save wisely, and as we spend thoughtfully with Him. And Today, I I hope it hasn't been just about money, but really the bigger picture is just enjoying the giver and worshiping our giver. And as we manage money, it's really all about him, isn't it? And I think about our Lord, and today met some of you, maybe someone here today is like, John, I don't understand what you're talking about in a relationship with God. And just want to... I think most of us do have placed our faith and trust in Christ, but if you haven't, the, uh, one of the texts that just lays it out so clearly is uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that says, for the wages of sin is death. So when we sin against God, the result is death, physical death, but also spiritual death, where our relationship with God is, we're separated from him, the giver of life. But the rest of that verse says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And what God, what Jesus came to give us was eternal life. It's a gift. You cannot earn it, but it's a gift of grace. He made it possible through his sacrifice for us on the cross, dying in our place, and then said, whoever believes in me will receive eternal life. And what a treasure. And we invite you into that. Today, God is inviting you into that through the preaching of his word in this moment. But for all of us, or for the rest of us, I think that as we wrap up today, the, the posture that I know this led my heart into is one of gratitude. And so as we worship, just to encourage you to just thank the Lord for, one, the job that he's given you. Thank him for the opportunities to be generous. Thank him for the, the ways that he's allowed us to save for our needs and then spend um, in a way that, that provides for those needs. And so join me in prayer. Father, as we continue our worship we just thank you so much for what you've given us and we just want to say that what we treasure most is you and through Christ to know you and to have the giver and yet Lord you have given us so many good things and we thank you for them thank you for how you've provided for us as a church family thank you as a individual families here today and as individuals we thank you you have been so good We love you, and Lord, as we go out today, we pray that um, you would help us to just put your word into action for your glory and the good of the people around us, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.
If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.